You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. Today we're going to start a brand new series on marriage. Over six weeks, we're going to look at six keys to unlock all of our relationships, but especially marriage. And I want to begin by telling you a bit about Lori and me. We are able to help every one of you who have done something wrong because we've done a lot of things wrong. So we can relate to you. When Lori and I first met, she was a freshman in high school. I was a freshman in college. And how did we meet? Well, her family moved in next door. So I was a cheap date. <laughs> never had to tie up the phone, never had, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. We didn't start dating until our respective senior years. Year and a half later, we're married. Lori was 19. I was 22. How many of you don't know anything about life and relationships at 19 and 22? We didn't either, so we got married. And honestly, we didn't start our relationship off with a lot of wisdom. We made a lot of mistakes. I thought you might appreciate one picture anyhow from our wedding day. One in which I thought the cake was Oreo. I was just ready to, to go in. <laughs> All right, so based on some comments already, some of you might be thinking, you know what, he didn't age very well. <laughs> let me let you in on a secret. And if you're taking notes, you got to write this down. Number one, women age like wine. Number two, men age like milk. That's how it is. That's how it works. So that was us 38 years ago. We've been together almost 40 years. We've made mistakes. We've learned things the hard way. So as I share with you for these six weeks, it's all for us to be honest about where we are and being able to get real help from a real God. And we're going to start today by looking at a story from John chapter 4. It's the story of a conversation that Jesus has with a woman at a well. She's called the Samaritan woman. So from John chapter 4, our reading begins at verse 3. So he, that is Jesus, left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. They're in the desert. It's hot. It's dry. Walking all day, you're tired. And one of the first things you want to do when you pull up into town is you look for the well, the one source of water. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Parentheses that John puts in there for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So there's some racial and religious conflict here. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. 
Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water, speaking of the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't have to get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had, how many? Five husbands. It's a full handful. Go call your husband. Well, that'll be a carpool. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you, are, you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. In other words, through the line of Abraham. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, See a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Last verse. They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Here's the story. A woman at the well in Samaria. Now, the way that this works geographically, you've got Galilee to the north, Judea to the south. In these two regions are God's people. They know the Bible, they know who God is, they worship right, they do it in the right place, at the right temple. And in the middle, between Galilee and Judea, right there in the middle, is the area of the Samaritans. They took a little bit of the Bible, they took some of it out, they put some other stuff in, they created their own religion, their own Bible, their own priesthood, their own temple, and as a result, they're very confused. They're in the wrong religion. They're not worshiping the right God. They're not worshiping the right way in the right place. They are semi-related to the Jews. But the Samaritans had intermarried with folks outside of the faith. So centuries later, you get to the first century now, and they're convoluted faith. 
And there was great animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans, so much so that when God's people wanted to travel from north to south or south to north, generally what they would do, they would walk around Samaria. Now, it was to go straight through Samaria, if you go from Galilee to Judea or vice versa, to walk straight through would be a two to three day walk. To go around, it'd be four to six days. You really want to avoid people when you're walking through desert terrain an extra couple of days, right? How many of you avoid certain people in your life? How much effort do you make to avoid them? If you were to walk from here to Charlotte to avoid them, I would say to you, you don't like them very much. But Jesus, rather than going around, goes through. And he pulls into town, which is not what holy men tended to do. And he went to the well, which is not where holy men tended to be. And he talked to a woman, a conversation that holy men would not opt to have. And he sits down and he has a conversation with her regarding relationships. And I want you to see from this story six factors that are leading her down the wrong path. Number one, there's isolation. Now, there's a difference between solitude and isolation. Solitude is something you choose for yourself for a certain period of time. Isolation is what others choose for you for all time. Solitude is where you can pull away and have some time, just you and the Lord. Isolation is being marginalized. It's outcast. It's rejected. How many of you have been part of a friend group and then all of a sudden you weren't? You were ostracized. You were kicked out. That's what's happened here. It says that she shows up at the well at noon. Now, here's what we're to understand. In that day... Each day, every day, the women with children generally in tow would go out to the well. There was one well per town, basically. And so she would go and there'd be the other women. They would talk, they'd visit, the children would play, it'd be a social event. You'd load yourself up with your water and then you'd return home. Because this was such labor-intensive work, you did it in the cool of the morning. No one wanted to wait till the beating down of the midday sun. But here all these other women would gather. This one by herself. And she came in the middle of the day. Why? Because she was the outcast. She was marginalized. She was rejected. She was the one with a bad reputation. She was the one that all the other women talked about. The first thing that we see that contributes to her wrong choices is isolation. She's a very lonely woman. No indication there are children. She's seemingly by herself all the time, not of her own choosing. A second indicator of being on the wrong path is an unhealthy neediness for relationships. I would suggest to you that you've had five spouses and you're living with the sixth person. And we don't know how many others she may have lived with, slept with. And look, I, I get it. We all need relationships. God even said it's not good to be alone. But this is an unhealthy neediness for relationships that she has. How many of you know somebody who's just emotionally needed, needy? They're, they're demanding, right? 
They're always craving, longing for affection and attention. Well, this woman is a place where she is very needy. She goes from one marriage to the next, one relationship to another relationship, and repeat. One relationship to another, and repeat. Number three, she's spiritually confused. Now, don't get me wrong. She's a spiritual person. Have you ever heard that description placed upon someone? Well, they're a spiritual person. Let me just say, spirituality does nothing. You can attend a gathering, say you believe in God, read some religious literature, but spirituality does nothing. Only the real God can heal. Only the real God can forgive. Only the real God can help. But she has the wrong God, the wrong religion. But like in our day, she believes that spirituality is a good thing. Spirituality is not a good thing. If there's anything we learned from the book of Daniel that we just finished two weeks ago, all 12 chapters, is that in the spirit realm, there is good and there is evil. There is God and there is Satan. There are angels, there are demons. To be just spiritual is not to be in a life-giving relationship with the real God. You could be in a death-inducing, deceptive relationship with demonic forces that are seeking your demise. It's not good to be spiritual. It's not enough to be spiritual. A fourth indicator of being on the wrong path is that she's carrying a lot of hurt or trauma. Would you agree that if there have been five divorces, and now you're on potential number six, there's a lot of hurt. The betrayal, the abandonment, the shame, the disappointment. It's not inconceivable that in addition, there's trauma, sexual, emotional, physical, abuse, assault. Men didn't particularly treat women well in that day. And after five divorces, she would have been treated very poorly. And if you're living with a man who doesn't want to marry you, you've sort of given up hope for healthy relationships, and now there's potential trauma. This woman just takes pain upon pain into relationship after relationship, and by number six, that's all she knows. I want us to have some sympathy and empathy for this woman. Now, every one of us could look at this situation and say, well, she had it coming, right? I mean, she did it on her own. She did it to herself. But I want you to see that she is in a very disparaging, very discouraging, very dark, very dangerous place. And we have this myth in our culture that says, I just need to find my soulmate. I need to find the one. No, you need to be the one. And the truth is, you don't have a soulmate. That comes from Greek thinking. Biblical thinking is that two selfish sinners get married and the goal is to become one, to act like a team, to pray constantly that you'll both work on being on the same page. It's going to be a lot of work. It's going to be a full-time job. You're going to have to work at your relationship. Billy Graham's wife, Ruth, was once asked, have you ever considered divorce? She said, I've never considered divorce, but I have considered murder. So what does the Samaritan woman keep doing? She keeps taking her pattern of wrong choices and emotional baggage, and she just keeps handing the script of failure to the next person in line. A fifth indicator of being on the wrong path is that she's carrying 
what I would classify as an irresponsible person. Some of us are very responsible. Some of us are overly responsible. And some of us are irresponsible. Overly responsible person, see it like this. I'll take care of my responsibilities and your responsibilities. So what happens is overly responsible people tend to attract irresponsible people and then want to be responsible for them. Some of you women have done this and you've married a man because he needed you and you needed to be needed. And now he feels like your son and you want to kill him because you're tired of tending to him and babysitting him and looking after him. And now I know I've gone from preaching to meddling, but you get what you paid for. The sermon's free. What happens when you carry irresponsible people is this. All of a sudden, you've got your responsibilities and theirs, and that's what's happening in this relationship. This man, guy number six, should have courted her, then married her, then lived with her and consummated. As it is, he doesn't want to marry her. He doesn't want to commit to her. He doesn't want to covenant with her. He just wants to sleep with her, and that's where they're both at fault. And the sixth indicator that she's on the wrong path is she's settling for abuse. It reaches the point where some of us are so desperate for a relationship. We go, I'm lonely, I'm hurting, I'm struggling, I'm, I'm needy, I can't make it. This isn't the way life should be for me. I need someone to be with me. And it's clear from the Bible that every one of us needs to be in a relationship, but you find yourself in a very dangerous place if you will settle for an abusive relationship. The relationship she's in is abusive. He doesn't love her. He's not nurturing a relationship with the Lord. He doesn't know the Lord. She doesn't know the Lord. He's not encouraging her to get past her sins and and pain from previous relationships. He's not looking out for her well-being. He's taken a vulnerable woman and using her for his own benefit without any covenant or commitment to her. That, I would say, is an abusive relationship. Now, the more of these categories that apply to you, the less emotionally healthy we would tend to be. The more baggage we would carry with us into the future, the more wrong choices we'll settle for. So you look at the story and you ask, okay, well, where is she going to go for help? The culture is confused. The man she's with is of no help. She's isolated alone. She has no one. But Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up. And he sits with the woman at the well. This is not where holy men went, Samaria. This is not where... What holy men do, talk to women. This is not what Jewish leaders do, talk to Samaritans. This is not what virgins do, visit with a girl who's living with the sixth guy. Jesus never sins, but he's willing to violate some cultural taboos to love people who are far from him so he can draw near to them. So let's look now, not at the woman of the story, but Jesus. How does he serve her? What are some of the ways that Jesus brings emotional health? Number one, Jesus pursues broken people. No one is pursuing her. 
She's at the well all by herself. Every day, no one is pursuing her, but God gets off his eternal throne. He enters human history, and he takes a long walk seemingly through desolate desert just to sit beside her at a well because Jesus is going to pursue her. You need to see that that's how God works. Some of you haven't been pursuing God, but he's been pursuing you. You haven't been looking for God, but God's looking for you. Some of you haven't even known your need for God, but God knows you need him. God pursues you. That's the great story of the Bible. The great story of the Bible is that it's a rescue story. That as we might run from God, God runs after us. And his name is Jesus Christ. Number two, Jesus forgives sin. This is another thing that he's going to do for her. Jesus talks about her sin. And let me say, you and I, we are all sinners. We're also victims. We'll get to that part. But right now, let's, let's talk about the sinner part first. She shouldn't have married five guys and then been sleeping with the six. There are some things that she did that were manipulative. She was sinful. She did wrong. Jesus brings those up. But not in a shaming way, not in a condemning way, but in a forgiving way. One of the ways that we become very emotionally unhealthy and continue to make mistakes, wrong choices, is when we don't experience forgiveness of sin and we carry that sin of our past into our present and then into the future. This woman is literally bringing hell into her life. All that she's got in front of her, it seems like, is devastation, destruction, death, if you will. There's no life. There's no love. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus is going to go to the cross and die. And he's going to substitute himself. And he will endure all of the punishment. So she doesn't need to punish herself and no one else needs to punish her. She could just be forgiven. And she could dump all the baggage, all of the hurt, all the failure, all the grief, forgetting what lies behind. She can press forward with Jesus with the life that he has for her. You cannot be emotionally healthy. You cannot be relationally healthy until you're forgiven. And then the guilt and the shame and the burden and the condemnation is transferred from you to Jesus. And he is punished. And you are blessed. And God forgives you and will walk with you to help you. And let me say this. It is not possible to be emotionally and relationally healthy apart from a relationship with Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not possible. That's why this woman is not relationally or emotionally healthy. She doesn't know Jesus. She doesn't have the Holy Spirit. Once she receives Jesus and the Holy Spirit, she can get healthy. She can have healthy relationships. And Jesus says to her, I'll give you the Holy Spirit. His words, streams of living water. He says the same source by which I live my life can now be imparted to you. And with that, you and I get to experience the emotional life of Jesus flowing in and through us by the Holy Spirit. This woman had no clue that in an instant, 
one conversation on one day, not only would her life change, but her eternal life will change as God will take up residence in her soul. And then she's having this theological debate about where to worship. And Jesus, in effect, says, how about God comes to you? You don't go to God. How about God lives in you? How about God changes you? How about God transforms you? How about God puts his life and health in you in an inexhaustible source of life? That's what God offers all of us through Jesus and the Holy Spirit. You see, once she meets Jesus, she realizes, oh, that's what healthy relationships look like. There's love and forgiveness. There's kindness. There's safety. There's help. There's hope. Let me just say, once you meet Jesus, this is your first healthy relationship. And as you have a healthy relationship with Jesus, that sets the tone, the pattern, the precedent for all your other relationships to also be healthy. Another thing. Jesus makes us emotionally healthy, life-giving people. She's a woman who's been isolated. She's not contributing anything to anybody else. No one's contributing anything to her. Once she meets with Jesus and she gets emotionally healthy, she then becomes a life-giving person. There are two kinds of people. Those who take life and those who give life. Life Life-taking people, you know who they are. Because once you've already made a point of saying, I got to go see them, you're already dreading it. You're like, man, I got to go see them. I hope it doesn't take long because I'm probably going to have to go home and take a nap when I'm done. But then there are also life-giving people. Those are the ones that you can't wait to be around because you're like, man, I get so energized from them. I, I, I leave their presence feeling full of hope. You know, there will always be times that all of us will be life-taking people, not even intentional. But the goal should be when we are life-taking to go to Jesus and then let him be the source of life-giving for us so that we can then give it off. In this story, what does this woman do after she meets with Jesus? She runs into town. She becomes one of the first evangelists in the New Testament. She doesn't know a whole lot, but she's very passionate. She tells everyone in town, I think I've met the Messiah. The whole town gathers around Jesus. It's like a mini revival. All of a sudden, she's taking the life that Jesus has given to her, and she's sharing it with others as a life-giving person. And that's what we want for you. We want you to get with Jesus, get healed up. And then be a life-receiving person so you can be a life-giving person. That's her experience. Let me close with this. The, The reason that all of her relationships are failing is because her first relationship is not succeeding. You know when you're given a set of instructions, steps to follow, step one, step two, step three, and so on, it just pays to go in order, right? This woman doesn't have a relationship with God first. So let me ask you, how's your relationship with God? Is God first? Is 
He the one that you go to first before someone else to talk to? Is he the one that you get emotional energy from first before you try to get it from somebody else? Is God first? C.S. Lewis, a prolific author, professor of the last century, Christian, said it this way. Whenever we try to put second things into first place position, we lose the joy of both God and whatever we're trying to replace him with. Your spouse will be crushed. Your friends will be crushed. If you hand them all the needs that only God can meet. And if they love you, they will try so hard and they will be so sad because they failed. They failed not because they're evil, but because they're human. But like the Samaritan woman, we can meet with Jesus and end up where she ended. There is the hope. She was living a life that was all pretend. All of a sudden, in a moment with Jesus, she gets real. She meets the real God. She gets real help, and she is really changed. So the Bible talks a lot about a walk with God and what is required in doing a walk steps. So for some of you, your first step is to become a Christian, to give Jesus your sin, to get forgiven and get healed up. Get forgiven for the sins that you've committed. Lay those at Jesus' feet. And then get healed from the sins that have been committed against you. For some of you, the next step is engaging with a small group, a Sunday school class, a Bible study group where you do life with other people. That's immediately what she does. She runs back to the town and she starts meeting with other people. For some of you, the next step is you start reading your Bible. For others, it's you start praying. For some of you, you need to be in church every week because just like you would never stop drinking water, you should never stop drinking from the life-giving water of God's word through God's Holy Spirit. Look, Jesus wants to meet with you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to heal you. He wants to put his life in you so that you can have a relationship with him. And then you can have relationships with others that are like that relationship with him. And if you will do this, it will transform your life. It will transform your relationships. It will transform your marriage. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.